Maybe the students can make a little bit of noise. Arr. So let me explain the chant that almost started here. Oh, the Lord's judgment will be fierce. Uh, so in case you can't tell, we took about 32 Daytona Beach this past week. And uh, God did some amazing things. One of the things that Satan was behind um, was the guys in the room thought it would be a fun idea to lace my toothbrush with Oragel on day two. And uh, can I be honest? Okay, so my, my mouth went complete. <laughs> went tingled, completely numb uh, for about five, ten minutes. I went in there, what is going on? I know I haven't had a lot of sleep. So I come to find out, and then um, I was like, well, surely it's out of the toothbrush. I brushed my teeth the second time. Apparently, Oragel is a permanent fixture in the universe that does not come out of substances. Um, and uh, I'm going to be honest, this morning still, I have not had time to go buy a new toothbrush. So this morning, for the first 10 minutes, my mouth was numb, and they love it too much. But hey, we want to celebrate all that God did. Um, we... Uh, Pray for us in the student ministry, but we, um, honestly, 3,000 students in the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach, Florida, under the greatest speakers and leaders and worship on the planet, um, and it was just an amazing, amazing week, and we want to say thank you to everyone in this house, and, you know, I said this um, last service, it may sound a little odd, but it just, even something as simple, as you know, we try to, we work with prices and work with students, everybody's from different walks of life, but, um, you know, one of the things the church, one of the things the church tries to invest is in transportation and, and gas money, and I just want to say, that sounds like a small thing, uh, I don't know what you, you know, when we tithe and give to the Lord, we give to the Lord, and that's used in a variety of ways, but I just want to say this, as you're faithful to the Lord, you can celebrate that whatever you gave, part of that got a student from Canton to Daytona to have their world changed forever. And you never know when you're faithful to God what he does. And on top of that, some of you, every trip, and again, you'd hurt me if I, if I embarrass you from stage, but every time we do a trip, you come to me and you say, I want to invest in lives. Some of you give hundreds. Some of you have given a thousand before. And every single time. Because you know there's nothing greater to invest in than the kingdom of God. And I just want to say thank you to all of you. I want to say thank you to those that invested in prayers, those that invested time, all the parents that trusted and prayed. We didn't lose too many kids. It was, it was, a, good, it was a good week. And, uh, let me tell you something. We were in actually leadership sessions where there were youth pastors that testified that they lost kids about four times that week. And so I just want to say you're like, okay, you don't get a pat on the back for not losing a kid. But we didn't lose any kids. I think most of them are, are here back in Canton. Um, so, uh, it was amazing, and we just want to say thank you. And then I want to just put a plug in uh, without any any shame uh, about where we're headed next. Fall weekend, uh, sometimes we wait till late August, September, but let me tell you something. If you've been around here for any length of time, you know we try to have a rhythm that students can be looking forward to, and, and uh, we, we try to be careful not to, to gouge the pocketbook too much. We literally, uh, we have a few events um, on Wednesday nights a year that are big standalone moments. We have Valentine Alive in February. Those of you been around for a while, you know that's always huge. We got Bat School Bash coming back. Any students, parents ready for school to start back? Um, we got, there's a big roar coming from this area right here. Um, we got Bat School Bash coming back. And then really, we have a student weekend in the spring and then just two trips, two main trips. 
uh, a year. We have uh, a summer, and we've done a few different things. We've done motion. We've, we did passion this year, obviously. And then fall weekend, and we have the unveiling of all the details of fall weekend coming soon. But we wanted, uh, we, we put flyers in the hands of students as they stepped off the van, and then we got, if you've seen the mountain monstrosity in the corner, uh, we got a fall weekend booth because we want to have early sign-up options for parents to save money now and to reserve your spot now because here's the deal fall weekend passion summer camps are amazing thousands of students fall weekend equally amazing in a different way several things one the timing is impeccable and it's intentional it's right in the middle of the school year right in the middle of all the chaos right in the middle of temptation there is inserted if we take advantage of the opportunity a moment for students to reconnect with jesus that maybe you've not been intentional about reconnecting with him. And it's a smaller setting in which the Spirit of God has space to do all he can do. And so we just want to ask you, we want to give you the opportunity. I love what the student pastor, I, see it's hard for me to say this not being a parent, but I love, you ever, you ever think things then you love it when other people say them for you? That one over everyone's head, okay. Uh, Brad Jones, uh, the student pastor at Passion, he said this, he said, you know, I know you know, there's sports, and there's all these things going on, and he's like, and Jesus will gift people in sports and in all these things to do amazing things, and we don't discourage that at all. He said, but priorities in your life, you find a way to make them work. And he said, sometimes the things of God and the house of God and the church of God and Wednesday nights can be an afterthought. And he said, I just wonder what it would look like to reverse that whole deal make the thing of God and the eternal things the centerpiece and where there's time to fit everything else in it fits in and I just want to encourage parents to take advantage of these opportunities because they're life changing they're absolutely life changing uh, I, I love to catch people up that are uh, brand new to the house if it's your first time guest I'm not the, the lead pastor so you hate me it's alright I won't be back up here next week um but I'm Russ. I serve with students in a few other capacities, and it's always an honor to open the Word of God. And I'm a little bit of a needy preacher. I like for people to talk back. I like for you to be engaged. You're at the 11 o'clock. You've had more coffee than the 930, so I'm going to encourage you to act like it. In fact, students, I thought you were going to make a little bit more noise than that, but it's okay if you're sleepy. Are you Are you alive? You okay? All right, that was decent. Is, can this side match them? I just wonder. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. That was, all right. We got, all right. We got party and funeral. That's all right. All right. I'm just joking. Don't get offended if you're a first timer. The other pastor won't offend you. Just me. Um, but I'm so excited to open the word of God. And uh, today was just kind of a free topic day. And we've been going through some tough topics. And I was like, Lord, what do you want to speak on today? And I just really, is it okay if we just have an old fashioned Bible study? I just felt like the Lord honestly didn't even give me, I mean, so there's a topic we're going to talk about the race, the Christian wall, but I felt like he just wanted us to take a, a scripture and unpack it. Is that all right? Today, that's what we're going to do. Turn to your neighbor and say, run to win. Turn to your other neighbor you ignored and say, run to win. Say, run to win. Here's the thing that we're going to do, and this is going to take a moment, and I don't know if they like this in the last one or not. It's okay. I liked it. Um... We're going to read an entire chapter of the Bible together before we go into our flagship verse. Because Hebrews 12.1 starts out with therefore. And if you know anything, if you read it all, you know when you see therefore, you need to see what's before therefore. And Hebrews 11 is called the hall of faith of heroes. The heroes of the faith, the, 
the, the, the chapter of faith. And I, can we just all do this? I'm old-fashioned. I think when a lady enters the room, you stand. I think when dignitaries enter the room, you stand. And this thing is the hottest, most amazing, precious thing on the planet. I want us to stand as we read the Word of God. And here's what I want you to do. Um, when we, there's a lot of places in this text where it says, by faith. And when it says by faith, the first service, they were a little bit uh, lacking of coffee. So they kind of said by faith like it was a spelling contest. But I want you guys to shout by faith. Can you do that? Can we, can we just try? Try that by faith. That was decent for a first try. You can do better, but that was decent. All right, Hebrews 11. Whenever we get to the place, and, and I hope you're following along. If you got a moment, take a moment to find that. And it's going to be on the screen. Oh, I love this. I told the first service, sometimes I get alone. You know how David got discouraged sometimes? But then the Bible says that he strengthened himself in the Lord. And can I tell you, if you're feeling discouraged today, this may sound weird. Go home alone. Find chapter 11 and just read it out loud and see if fire, new fresh fire, doesn't get to the backbone of your world and your soul. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith. Oh, you missed it. I'll give you one more chance. By faith. We understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Anyone ever felt like that in this place? Not knowing where he was going. By faith. Oh, uh, you're starting to slow down a little bit. That was weak. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. This place is not our home. We are only passing through. And those that know him, don't try to make this place too comfortable because they're looking for a better country. I love America, but I'm looking for a better country. I love this place, but I'm looking for a better world. I love the people that I'm around, but I'm looking to go home. I love seeing and hearing and talking about Jesus, but I want to see him face to face. And they were looking to a different city. And by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who has promised. I hope this is neat this morning. I just want to read this and then I'll just miss you. Some of your Ah, all right. By faith, Sarah shall receive. Uh, Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. 
If they had been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them a city. There's something, when your desire is not a desire that you know can be matched in this world, but you know you were made for a different world, and your desire belongs there, God's not ashamed to be called your God, and he's not ashamed to comfort and validate your life. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. And by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. That's when you know you have the right view. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, we're almost done, the, they, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. Anybody need some walls in your life to fall down today? Anybody? You need the walls of depression, oppression, sadness, sorrow, addiction, bondage to be absolutely demolished under your feet today. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had been given a friendly welcome to the spies. And I love this. This is preacher talk. What more shall I say? Can't you just tell he was a preacher who ever wrote this? Scholars debate. I think it's Paul. I got my reasons. And scholars don't usually ask me, but what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon Barak, Samson, and Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Can I tell you I love where Paul said we are led continually in triumph through Christ. You and I need a little bit more militant joy back in our bones. We need a little bit more backbone back in our walk. We whine and complain, and we don't have an excuse in the world because these people by faith who were tortured to death, oh, we whine. Well, what about this leader? Well, the country's doing this, and the president's doing this. What in the world does that matter if you've got an eternal view? You're not going to spend your time uh, slandering politicians and leaders and whining about life. You're going to say, I got a heavenly reward and I got a God sovereign over all of this. And I got one mission. That's to advance the name of Jesus and the power of God. And God's not falling off his throne. He's not worried about what's going on. He's still in control. He's still in charge. And he still knows what he's doing. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. And I was mad this week because my taillight went out. They were stoned, sawn in two, 
killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And I love this phrase. If you want to lift up athletes or singers or whoever you idolize, whatever, let me tell you something. People of whom the world is not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though committed through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now are you ready to dive into the therefore? Because the therefore is for you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us. Can we just, can we read this verse together? Let us lay aside every weight. And sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Will you lift your hands and ask God to fill you? Lord, thank you that you are the God of Elijah, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac, the God of Abraham. And you're my God. And Lord, you have not lost power and you've not lost authority. You are still ruling this thing. You're still reigning in the universe. You're still king of kings. You're still Lord of lords. And God, you have power ready for our disposal. And God, you've not called us to walk around with heads down and, and in Lord, in shame and in fear and timidity, but you've given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And you have given us a win at our back for this race. So we ask you to empower us this morning by the anointing of the spirit of God. Jesus' name. Amen. Tell your neighbors you have a seat, run to win. I guess this is my version of a little Bible study. <laughs> All right. I love this verse. Love it. Um, our lead program that Cody mentioned, we, we had verses of the month to, for them to memorize. Um, and we're still taking baby steps in some way, so it ended up needing to be the first of the semester to memorize. Um, but uh, I love it, and you know, I've heard people say this, and I agree that if there's, a, if you could find, and just so you know, that chapter, besides possibly uh, Psalms 51, is my favorite chapter in all of Scripture. Can't encourage you enough. Go ahead and read that. But this verse, I believe, there's one verse that summarizes, and I hate when people say keys to the Christian life. How many know great is the mystery of godliness? And the older you get, the more you realize there are not formulas and there's not neat answers for everything. But, 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 if, but if there's some guardrails, honestly, on how to live an effective Christian life, on how to run the race, I believe this verse contains it. Is there anybody in here that would just say like me, I want to be victorious in life? I want to be victorious in my Christian life? We've got a few. I, 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 don't want to, I don't want life to happen to me. I want to happen to life. I don't want to just... Survive. I want to thrive. I don't want to just be behind. I want to overcome. God Almighty lives inside of me, and he's the same God of those people, so I want to push forward in victory. And these, I, I believe, contain some of the keys to that. So um, Paul, one of the reasons, honestly, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews is because he loves the race analogy. And, and, I, and I want to read this. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 says this. It says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one person gets the prize? So run that you may obtain it. And then I love this, these words, this is, he wrote that in 1 Corinthians 9, but in 2 Timothy 4, 7, this is near the end of Paul's life. He's, he's about to, to pass, you know, from this life to that. And, and, and Paul, as he's dying, says these words on his deathbed. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I want to be able to say these words. 
I want when I get to heaven to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I, I don't want to be able to say, well, I made this amount of money before I died. I don't want to just say, well, I was able to get this promotion or I was able to do this thing or see that thing. I want, since I'm in an, an eternal race and this is not my home, but I'm living for the glory of God to make an impact on the world and I'm passing through quickly. Here's what I want to be able to say on my deathbed. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. How many knows it's one thing to begin a thing. It's another thing to end a thing. It's one thing to begin well. It's another thing to end well. And as I was reading this verse, there are four words that jumped out at me. And I, I asked Andrew to put it back on screen and, and have those words capitalized. And I just want you to write these words down. Therefore, since we are surrounded, can we all just say surrounded? Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despite the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Would you just say surrounded? And can, do we have another water down there? I am so sorry. I'm, my mouth is so dry. Um, thank you so much. Um, so say surrounded. And I'm not going to camp out here for too long, but can I just tell you, um, I felt like the Lord wanted somebody to be reminded that you're surrounded this morning. You think you're alone. You feel like, well, no one understands what I'm going through, and nobody really is with me in this. And you know what? Nobody can really relate to this whole deal going on. And honestly, in this season of my life, it feels lonely. And Well, I'm going through this. But the Lord said this morning, you're not alone. You're surrounded. I was thinking about the story of Elisha. You remember the story of Elisha where uh, the king of Syria is after him big time. Because Elisha, the prophet of God in the Old Testament, kept tipping the hand of the, of the Israelite army whenever the king of Syria wanted to attack. They would plan a sabotage. They would plan an attack. And God would speak to Elisha and say, here's what they're planning. Go ahead and tell them. And he would tell them. Finally, word got back to the king of Syria. And I love the way it says this. It says, they, they finally told him, they said, look, there's a prophet in the land that tells Elisha. There's a God that tells, tells Elisha. The very words you whisper when you're alone in the bedroom. Isn't that amazing? A message for another day is God knows even what you say behind scenes. He knows what you think behind scenes. God's omniscient, omnipresent. But he speaks these things finally so the king of Syria gets so mad, he sends his surrounding armies to surround the house where Elisha was and to destroy him. So I, I had a little fun thinking about Elisha's servant. On this particular morning. Can you imagine what it would be like to follow these servants that one day are like crazy miracles. The next day you just don't know if you're going to die. You don't know what's going to happen from moment to moment. So Elisha's servant gets up and has like Captain Crunch cereal that morning, right? And he has orange juice and he's, he's eating his Wheaties. And honestly, he's done about 50 push-ups. He's ready to go for the day. And he's thinking, God, I hope I see a miracle today. Also, hope I don't die today. I don't know what's going to happen today. All right, well, hey, I'll go out and take the dog for a walk. And he walks out and the armies of Syria are surrounding him. And he thinks, Elisha, what did you do this time? Who did you offend this time? And then he does something that any of us would do. He freaks the heck out. He's about to die. The armies are surrounding him. And Elisha walks out. I love the fearless confidence of these prophets. He just walks out and says, Lord, would you open the eyes of your servant to know that there's more for us than there is against us. And he opens his eyes. And the, and, and the prophet's servant looks and he sees fiery surrounding chariots and the host of heaven surrounding them. Because you and I from time to time need to have our eyes open to see, like it says what in, in Hebrews, what is invisible is more real than what you can see in front of your hand. 
Because there is a dimension and a reality that sometimes we only get the curtain peeled back in glimpses. And so he says, open, that'd be a great prayer for you this week. Open my eyes, O Lord. Open, that's what Paul, he got on his knees. He said, open the eyes of those who call on you that they may know the length and the depth and the width and the height of the love of Christ. We all daily, weekly, monthly need our eyes opened. And he says, open their eyes. And so he opened his eyes. And here's the thing, I feel like I want me to remind you, you are surrounded. You are surrounded, and you're not just surrounded by the full force of the Trinity this morning. You not only have God the Father overshadowing your steps and the resurrected Son advocating for you and the very Spirit of the living God empowering you from the inside, but you got the whole host of heaven. you got all of those Hebrews, those heroes in Hebrews 11 leaning over heaven's balcony this morning, rooting you on. And here's what they're saying. They're saying, if I can do it, you can do it. Well, Pastor Russ, where do you get that from? Here's where I get that from. There's a reason it says therefore. There's a reason earlier in Hebrews it says all of these things were written down for our instruction and encouragement. Because here's what's going to happen. One day you're going to wake up and you're going to go through a season where you feel like, God, are you ever going to answer that prayer? Anybody ever been there? We've got a few honest folks. Lord, is this ever going to pass? God, that promise that I feel like you gave to me, when's it ever going to come through? Lord, how long do I wait? On that loved one to be saved, on that child, on that spouse, on that provision, on that healing. And what we're, you and I are tempted to say in our easy-go-lucky 21st century American Christianity is we are going to get fired up for Jesus for a week and discouraged when a month later things don't go like we want them to. But here's what's going to happen with Hebrews 11 in the back of your heart and in the back of your mind is Abraham's going to speak up and say, there was a time God gave me a promise and he spoke to me and he took me outside and he said, look at the stars because your descendants are going to outnumber the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the seashore of all the world. But it didn't happen that week and it didn't happen that month and it didn't happen that year and it didn't happen 10 years from then. It didn't happen 15 years from then. It didn't happen 20 years from then. 25 years later when Abraham was past the age and Sarah was past the age. God finally came through. And Abraham's going to say, he who promises faithful, you hang in there. And not a syllable from the word of God will fall to the ground. And then what's going to happen is you're going to have sickness in body. And you're just going to say, well, I can't, you know, God, you not see what I'm going through. And he's going to point back to Hebrews 11, the people that were sawn in two and skinned alive and burned alive. And he's going to say, look, it's not because they didn't have enough faith. Look, you are in a broken world. And there is a sovereign God at work sometimes that you can't see working behind the scenes in ways that you can't imagine and you can't fathom. But they were faithful. And he who called you is faithful. And then there's going to be times when you're tempted to throw in the towel and give up. And you're going to read about these men and women. And you know what Hebrews 11 does? It rids you and I of any excuse. It rids us of any excuse. How spoiled am I? And then some of you, some of us, we think, well, God, I know you can't use me like you use so-and-so because of my past. You see the shame and the scars of what happened yesterday and last year and 10 years ago. And then Rahab the prostitute is going to speak up and say, let me tell you about a God of mercy. Let me tell you about a God of restoration. Let me tell you about a God of grace. That it doesn't matter how dark your past is. The lightness that is in Christ is greater than the unclean that is in you. And he is able to make all things work together for the glory of God and the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. There is no person and no situation here that is beyond the reach of God's grace. And so you're, we're going to read through Hebrews 11, and we're going to realize that we are surrounded. And if I had time to really throw out a challenge, I'd love to switch this around and say you should be encouraged that you're surrounded. But how will you stay encouraged by surrounding yourself? What do you surround yourself with? 
Are the people you surround yourself people that are going to push you further in Jesus or distract you with things of the world? Are the books you read, the music you listen to, the TV you watch? I'm not being legalistic. I'm just saying if your number one passion in life is to run the race, well, how are you running it? How are you surrounding yourself? Surrounded. Second thing, lay aside. Therefore, everybody say therefore. Therefore. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily entangles. You know what I love about that phrase? It says the the sin that clings so closely. I I love the other translation that says the sin that so easily entangles. Here's what I love about that. The moment I read that, it already popped in your mind, didn't it? You already know what that thing is. And we all, I mean, anybody, anybody ever battle with a besetting sin in their life, a recurring sin in your life? I can go ahead and tell you what all y'all's recurring sin in your life is. It's lying. Your hand's not up. Honest to God. And he says, look, and this will be a great place to take a note. In the Christian race, unchecked sin will kill your stride. Unchecked sin will kill your stride. I mean, we've all been there, haven't we? We come to a Sunday morning or a Wednesday or we hear an inspiring message or a a song, and then we take a step forward, but that sin is still entangling our legs, isn't it? So we try to take another step forward. We wonder why we run so slow and we limp and we hobble and we just, because Jesus is saying, kill that thing. Don't coddle the sin, kill it. Don't mess with the compromise, murder it. And, but what I love is it's not just this striving, legalistic. I love that he puts that phrase. I want to read this to you. I love this. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. I just love the fact that it has that phrase, by the Spirit, in there. Because this is not something you do in your flesh. Yes, intentional. Yes, but Galatians says what? When you walk in the spirit, then you will fulfill the lust of the flesh. And the beautiful thing is I love that it says in Galatians as well that what God began in us, we are not called to try to work that out in our own striving and flesh. We're simply called to be intentional to stay under the fountain of God's grace and cooperate with God's spirit to crucify the passions of the flesh that would hold us back from God's destiny in our lives. It says by the spirit put to death. I, I love the old reformers and Puritans, and, and I, I had a few uh, Puritan uh, geese with me that got excited about this in the first, but John Owens, I, I just encourage you to check out his stuff, but he's amazing, but I love this. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Can I tell you something, and this isn't dramatic or preacher talk, right now there's some sort of killing going on in your life. And it's either you killing sin or sin killing you. You're either right now, by the Spirit, waging war on the temper that is chipping away at your credibility and your relationships and your marriage, or you're letting that temper continue to chip away at you. You're either assassinating by the anointing of the Spirit the lust that's trying to coil its way into your heart and life and bring havoc to your family and your future and your intimacy with Jesus, or it's doing that to you. You're quiet. But be killing center, it will be killing you. And um, I just, here's the thing. You know, we all go through tough times in life, don't we? Right? We all go through tough times in life, and, and that can affect our happiness. But joy is something different. 
That's something so different. Joy can't be touched by circumstance because joy is an unshakable fruit of the Spirit of God that your hope doesn't rest in anything in this world that can be shaken. It rests in the sovereign hand of God Almighty. And joy is something on the inside. And so we all have ebbs and flows of life, but here's the, here's the thing. I just felt the Lord, if there's a continual dying in an area of your life, not of happiness, not of temporary emotions, but a, a continual dying in your life of joy, the question might be, where is the continual living of sin? That might be in that area. Because the thief of your joy is not your circumstance. It's anything that hinders your connection to the source of life. And God Almighty. And so he says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And uh, I love the fact that he doesn't stop and lay aside the sin. But he says, lay aside the weights. Can we just say that? Weights. <clears throat> I told the, uh, the first crew that I don't know how this would have gone over. But I really wanted to have a relay race this morning. I honestly decided late last night not to, but I almost did. And what I wanted to do, we had anybody that races in the room, any racers? This is a fit crowd. All right, we, uh, I'm just joking. All right. Uh, oh, they told me not to walk down, so I'm going to walk back up. Uh, but here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get, uh, anybody, we got any speed walkers in the room? We got any speed walkers? We got, anybody ever exercise? We got, all right, all right, we still have a ton of runners. It's okay, I don't like to run. Um, but I wanted to get some speed walkers, and we were going to put the music on and get the fog machine going and honestly just have like a speed walking contest, a race. But then what we were going to do, here's what I really wanted to do, is take the loser and put weights on their ankles. Anybody ever worked out with ankle weights? We do. I think this is so funny. Both you and the first crowd, there's more, more of you that have worked out with ankle weights than run. What else? Aerial yoga also big in the room? Is that a... No? Okay. So what I want to do is put ankle weights on the loser and then see what happens. Because here's the deal. God doesn't just want the sin cut off your life. He wants the weights cut out of your life. There are questions, silly questions we ask a lot. And sometimes they're genuine. But like, is that really a sin? And the real question is, will that make me run faster? The real question is not, oh, that technically be breaking a rule. Wisdom and maturity is, no, 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 will that pull me closer to his heart? I love that Paul says everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. And there are weights that need to come off. Have I told you before, if you were here a couple weeks ago, I've told you this before, but I hate cats a lot. God didn't make them. And... There's nothing lovable about them. Um, and I told you uh, about, and my parents are actually here. They'll confirm the contest I had where I tied them up, the kittens, and then, and then timed. Um, if you weren't here a few weeks ago, you're thinking this monster on stage. But it, I was like five, not 15. But I, apparently, I don't remember this, but I tied up kittens and timed them and had a little bit of an Olympic uh, kitten contest and see which ones could escape the fastest. I don't remember what the prize was, like yarn or something, but... Um, and then we, the, the loser, I remember uh, there was a stove and we sacrificed uh, the I'm just, that was about to go. But anyways, uh, I hate cats. And um, I had a roommate, uh, there's a guy that I knew, Brandon Rogers, and he, uh, Brandon, he was, a, he was a man's man, like welder, like real tough guy. Um, 
just your man's country. You love cats. That's the one weird thing about Brandon, and no offense to any guys in the room that, that, that did cats, but he loved cats, and um, I'll never forget, we're all about to move, we're part of a church plant that moved to Lexington, and um, we're all at the house, he was like the last one we packed up to, 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 to ship out, and to ship out, to, you know, move him, and um, he had, he had, we had packed everything up in the U-Haul, and then I'll never forget, well, I'm starving, I'm like, oh my gosh, we've got to get on the road, it's going to be late by the time we get to Lexington, it's about a a five-hour trip from Greenville to Lexington, and we're going to get something on the road. And, and, and he goes, hey, I, I just need a minute. I said, okay, why do you need a minute? He goes, I need to say goodbye to my buddies. No, I don't get it at all. I said, what what buddies? He goes, my buddies. I said, are there? We leave some of the guys back there? I think they're all in the van. He goes, no, I need to say goodbye to my buddies. I said, I'm so sorry. You've got to elaborate this point. And he said, my cats. And I said, Okay. Let me tell you something. The band of brothers, you know this, and the band of brothers, how you just torture one another 24-7. It was a fun ride to Lexington with Brandon in the U-Haul. But uh, Brandon went inside and, and had his few moments um, with his buddies, his cats, and because and, he was leaving them in South Carolina. And then uh, a couple years later, we had moved there, and I was in a new apartment, and, and he wanted to move in as the new roommate. One of our roommates had moved out, so I was like, okay. So he moved in, and about a month into him living there, I was walking one day down the hall. And let me just tell you, if you've never had your nostrils assaulted, this was the worst of the worst. I'm walking, and I thought, dear, what? I mean, I, I think threw up in my mouth a little bit. I probably said words that a Christian shouldn't say. I was so angry. I said, what is this? And it didn't go away. It just grew stronger every day. Every day, it grew stronger. So finally, me and my other roommate one day, Brandon was out to work, and I said, we've got to go in his room and see what's going on. We go in there. He has snuck cats into our apartment. Oh, and not only that, these cats somehow, even though they were his buddies, were not trained. And let me just tell you, they had peed over every square inch of that carpet and that floor in that room. Oh, it's worse than you can even imagine. It was so foul that if you, I don't know if you've ever been in a space that foul where like you can only stand it for a nanosecond and then you're out. It was that bad. Like, I wanted to go through there and light his bed on fire, but I couldn't stay in there long enough to light the match to light his bed on fire. And so I would just run out. And it made me so angry. Oh, we confronted him. We said, it's you with the cats, bro. Um, and he got rid of the cats. So call me a jerk, but he got rid of the cats. And, and we probably paid for professional cleaning, and, and things got better from there. Can I tell you, you ever have those weird moments where you have, like, a life thought, the randomest time, most random time? I thought to myself, I can't stand in there for a nanosecond. He sleeps in this room. He lives in this. He somehow has had this junk in his life so long he's gotten used to it. I wonder what the roommates in your life have noticed about your life that you've gotten used to. I wonder what pet sin you've dragged along for so long. It's okay. And you just think that's part of me. That's the way I've always been. I've always had that chip on my shoulder. I've always had that attitude. I've always talked to the person this way. I've always been hard to forgive. I've always had this little pet bondage. I've always just been like this. I've never been on time. I've always had this. I've always done that. I wonder, can I just tell you a way? If you don't want to just say amen and feel good and sing a happy little Christian song, but your goal is actually to grow in the Lord, can I give you a tough assignment this week? If you have, don't, now, no, don't do this if you have thin skin, but if you have thick skin and your desire is not to hear what you want to hear but the desire to hear what you need to hear because you want to grow in the Lord, do this. Go to the people closest to you this week and say, what in my life stinks that you've been wanting to
I read someone this week that said, I don't understand a lot of other people, but I want to hear the worst thing about me so I can change it while I still got time. And listen, that's why I, hey, Timothy, Paul said in the last days, there will be teachers that will tell people what they want to hear and will scratch their itching ears. I love what Leonard Ravenhill said. He said, we live in a day of itching ears, but I have no assignment from God to scratch them. I want what's going to make me grow in the Lord. I wonder what's in your life. It's been around for so long, you don't even notice it anymore. But it's not God's best. And today he's inviting you joyfully to let it go. And to step into it. And you say, well, that's the way I've always been. Great, repent. You're a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. The new has come. You're the spirit of the living God inside you to empower you to do all things. Is this okay? God, uh, I felt like about five years ago, dropped a thought in my heart. It's so simple. It's insultingly simple. But on this whole thought, um, and it's this. Live in such a way that makes it easy to pray. Isn't that simple? Live in such a way that makes it easy to pray. Should I do that thing if it's not technically? What's going to make it easy to climb into God's presence tomorrow morning? I... Uh, you know, about a month ago, I had one of those just discouraging moments. Anybody ever had a discouraging day? Uh, anybody had a discouraging day this week? Anybody having a discouraging day? <laughs> and I, it had been a long day, and um, I, just, I just had a lot on my mind. I came here late one Saturday night, and I just, this table was right here, and I just leaned on the table. You ever just start staring? You're so discouraged, you just start staring. If somebody would have walked in, they would have thought Satan was on the carpet. And I was just staring. And uh, honestly, just, it was just one of the, it was unusual. It was just almost like a supernatural attack of the enemy. I just overwhelmed, paralyzed, and discouraged. And I stayed in the spot for probably 45 minutes staring at the carpet. It was weird. It was almost, things have been building up during the day, but it was just like that moment where Satan, he knows, he's strategic. You know, it's the right time to plant something in your mind and the right time to bring this together, put that together, and that together. I was in that moment. I went, to, I walked out of here in a daze and was walking into my room. And I just thought, God, you've got to encourage me. You've got to help me. I just try to encourage myself in the Lord, but I just feel so. And I got a call uh, from a friend of mine I hadn't talked to in a few days and at midnight. And he, I won't go into all of it, but basically he just said, and he said, Russ, he said, I've been praying over you all day. He said, uh, man, I was praying in the spirit over you today. God, I just want to break off a spirit of discouragement. And God just says, you're anxious about the season. And you're anxious about this and that. And he just starts to speak prophetically over my life. And I, I end up as, <laughs> with a phone on speaker. And I'm on my knees just weeping in the presence of God. And everything lifted off. And the atmosphere of the room shifted. And, and the power of God there. But the reason I'm sharing this is this is because... If you've been in those moments, you know how the whole, and I just went to bed looking up at the sky, just almost, you know, when you first get saved, it's like a little kid speaking the praises of God. God, I love you. You're so amazing. Just, and just praying in the spirit, worshiping the Lord. And, and, and I just thought, oh, this is amazing. You forget how real the presence of God is and how little anything else matters when God's in the equation. Um, but the, I felt the reason I bring this up is I felt like the Lord uh, kind of gave me a challenge, a thought. 
that I'd love to tell y'all I've consistently walked out. I have, and I've, I've taken steps, and hopefully by the grace of God, I'll continue to walk it out. But I felt like the Lord asked me this. It's like, Rush, you know how the whole atmosphere of this room has changed and just everything? And I was like, yes, Lord. And he said, what would it look like again for you to build your whole life into a home for my presence? Yeah. And the reason I share that is this. It's the difference between sin and weights. When your desire is not guilt and trying to be a better Christian, but your desire above anything else this world has to offer is the presence of God. You, you know you're moving to maturity, Lord, when you stop asking silly questions like, well, is this a sin? And you start asking, will this cultivate the presence of the living God in my life? And will this allow me to hear his voice more clearly and to sense his anointing more strongly and to walk in the miraculous more consistently and to know his heart more deeply? So he says, lay aside the weights and the sins. And then running. Run in such a way. What time is it? And then, oh, oh, we are. Okay. If y'all need to leave, leave. I'm just, I'll just try to go through. I, I, I don't have time to do this, but I, I read to the first service, you know, um, if you've been a runner, there's... There's preparation. Like, you can Google. I Googled it last night. Like, okay, preparation for races. And I, this morning I was reading it, and I saw where it said, make sure to wear a bib. Did y'all know what that was? I pictured a baby, like, thing that you're supposed to wear, but apparently that's where the numbers go. Did anybody know that? Am I just the only idiot? Y'all aren't saying anything. Did did anybody? Still aren't saying anything. Did anybody know that? Okay, okay. All right. Um... But there's all these things. There's like, okay, you lay out certain things the night before. You go back and you check the route. You, you do all these things. You, you pay attention to what you eat. And there's so many things for a first-time runner, even for it, whether it's a 5K or a 12K or whatever it is. But then you think about the Olympic athletes. Like my sister lives in Denver, and we'll go to Pikes Peak. And, you know, uh, up there, these crazy madmen and women will train in the elevation in the, in the altitude where there's little oxygen. And they'll bike for miles, and they'll run for miles just to train their bodies. And they're so intentional. And especially the Olympic athletes. I mean, from the time they're little, they're training for these things. You know that, right? Like, that's their life. Like Michael Phelps in the swimming pool. All he does is swim. That's all he does. So then he can run, so that he can swim for 20 seconds for a medal that he hangs up. He's that intentional. Every bite that goes into his mouth, what he buys for his shoes, for his socks, the way, you know, they run or swim or whatever, every moment, everything about their life is going towards this race. And you and I are called to an eternal race. Can we not give intentionality towards that? And I just feel like if there's one word that the Spirit of God wants to hover over us today, it's intentionality. Is there any intentionality in your life towards your Christian walk? Do you worry about everything but the only thing that matters? Do you worry about finances and and relationship and job and career and then, hey, try to show up at church and raise your hands every once in a while? Or is your whole life saying, okay, this week, what is my game plan to grow in holiness? This week, how am I carving out space to hear the voice of God and get into the word of God and experience the presence of God and the power of God and to worship the Lord with all of my heart? How am I doing that? Is there any intentionality whatsoever? Because if they can give all these things for metals that will rust and burn away and won't exist in a thousand years, how laser focused should you and I be on eternal things and the glory of God and souls that will go to heaven or hell forever and the only thing that matters? That's why Paul, he was obsessed he was laser focused. He said, what did he say? He said, this one thing I do, pressing forward to the high calling of the prize of God in Christ Jesus. 
This one thing. Yeah, I have, I have a, I, I make tents. But all of that's just to fuel the glory of God. All that's just to fuel what I'm doing. Or do we try to build our families and our little kingdoms on earth and just try to make sure we get some Jesus in? Is there intentionality? Are you running to win? And then can I just tell you what I felt the Lord just kind of dropped in my heart is not only are you running intentionally, and I'm sorry, the light may not catch me, but are you, um, I feel like there might be some of us in the room that we're not running at all anymore. We kind of got saved, rest, relaxed, be raptured. Some of us, it's been about six months since we've even laced up our sneakers because we got injured a few years ago and got hurt. So I'll take a break. I'll be a, I'll be a sideline contestant. Oh, I love Jesus. I'll do my, and sometimes, just to stretch the analogy a little bit, maybe there was a contestant on the track with you, a brother, church hurt, Right? That hurt me and pushed me or tripped me up while I was on the race. And now, hey, I'll, I mean, I'll still, I'll still say that I'm in the race, but I'm just going to kind of step back into my own. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to lean in. I'm not going to press in. I'm not going to keep going and say, somebody hurt me, and I'm going to wallow in that injury for a while. Or maybe it's shame. Maybe you've tripped so many times while you've tried to run, you're like, why would I get back up again? Anybody ever felt that way? I'm just going to fall on my face again. I'm just going to stumble again. I'm just going to mess up again. Why, why, would I, why would I do that? And man, I just feel like God today is saying this. That your injury is not an excuse for a passive future. And to step out of the race. And I just love the fact that it says in Proverbs... A righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up the eighth. And you may have fallen a million times. Is there anyone like me that, if you were to be honest, you don't even want to talk about how many times you've fallen on your face, and you don't even want to talk about all the times you've stumbled all over yourself, and then you thought, well, I'm just going to mess up with that again, and I'm just going to screw up with that again, and this is just going to happen again, and I really don't want to have my hopes disappointed again. So you know what? I'm just going to kind of shrink back a little bit. But the wind of God is wanting to get into your sails again and say, look, it's time. I know it hurts. I know you've wallowed in this injury for a while. I know the blood still might be dry, drying on your skin, but it is time for you to get back up in the name of Jesus, you have a calling waiting on you. You have a destiny waiting on you. You have a call of God, and you have people that are waiting on your life, and it's time to get back up. And I know you may be injured, but God's able to heal. I love where it says uh, in Hebrews, so strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. The Spirit of God, as you allow Him space to do so, wants to heal what's out of joint in your life and strengthen you and put wind back in your sails. He wants to encourage you in the race. I, I said this. I thought about this. I love the quote by C.S. Lewis. What saves a man is to take a step and then another. And some of you, you may not be in the place today where you say, well, I, I can't sprint right now. Well, maybe not. But maybe you can at least take a step, can't you? You can at least get back up. You can at least walk. And you can let God put you back on the racetrack again, can't you? God wants to do that. And you know, I felt like the Lord dropped the thought in my heart this morning. 
You know, as we talk about weights and sins, some of us, we're never going to gain traction until we get that sin or weight off of our lives. But on the flip side, I feel like the Lord just kind of spoke to me that some of us are never going to see that weight or sin drop off of our lives until we finally begin to run again. It's not until we take our eyes off of all of our mess and junk and everything else and put our eyes back on Jesus and stand back up and dust the brush off of our backs and wash our face and put our heads to the sky and start to run again that we're going to see those things. I, I, I use this analogy all the time. I love I heard a tennis instructor say one time that talking about, talking about sin, he used to instruct tennis players. And the, the, the bad habit would be if they leaned back when the ball was coming at them. And so he would tell them all the time, stop leaning on your back foot. Stop leaning on your back foot. Stop leaning on your back foot. Finally, uh, and, and that's, a, that's a good thing to tell them, but finally he changed up his strategy a little bit. And instead of saying, lean on your back foot, he'd say, lean all the way into the ball and crush it when it comes at you. And he noticed immediately they stopped leaning on their back foot. One of my old favorite uh, Puritan reformers also said this. He said, examine yourselves all the time, but for every look that you give your sin, give ten more looks back to Christ. Because he is the author and finisher of your faith. And can I just give somebody encouragement from Philippians? What the Lord began in you, he will bring to completion. The race he began in you, as you look to him, he will author the finish of that thing if you trust him. And the final thing is looking. I know it's late. Bottom line, here it is. Marshall McLuhan said this, we become what we behold. We become what we behold. Can I tell you the most important thing about you? This is the most important key. This is what all the old timers said, and this is the truth. You are becoming what you're looking at. Have you ever noticed temptation? That's why for those that, that struggle with alcoholism, it says in uh, Proverbs, it says, don't, um, how, how's that phrase? It says, don't look at the, the wine while it sparkles, but look at the aftermath of it. Whatever you look at, you're gravitating towards. What is the gaze of your life focused on? What is the fix of your life focused on? Where are your eyes? Can I tell you, emotionally, spiritually, in every area of your life, here, I can tell you, this may sound like, oh, Rush, you're oversimplifying. You don't know what's going on in my life. Okay, we all got problems. We all got issues. But where you are right now in the emotional, spiritual climate of your life comes down to one thing. What have you been looking at? Where is the gaze and focus of your life? Because we become what we behold. And I love this, and they can go ahead and... Come to the keys or whatever. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You want to be transformed? Look at the Lord. You want to be changed? Look at the Lord. You want peace? I love where it says in scriptures. He will keep in, whose mind in perfect peace whose eyes are fixed on him. What does the psalmist say? Where does my help come from? I will lift my eyes to the hills. My help comes from the Lord. I was reading through Psalms this week, and I love where it says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. He says, As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, and so I have beheld your glory in the sanctuary and looked upon you. And you know what I love? I, I, I just journaled this in the side of my Bible a couple weeks ago. When you're thirsty, look. He said, I'm thirsty, so I looked at the Lord. I was hungry, so I looked back at him. I was ashamed, so I looked back at him. I was overwhelmed by the size of the mountain, so I looked at a God that is way bigger than any mouse and I will ever face. I was overwhelmed by the size of the storm, so I looked at the Lord who stills the storms and who speaks peace be still. I was overwhelmed by the size of the financial needs, so I looked at the provider. I was overwhelmed by the size of the ailment, so I looked at the healer. I was overwhelmed by the size of everything going on in my life, so I looked at the sovereign God who holds the universe in the span of his palm. 
I journaled uh, a, f- a few weeks ago. My time with the Lord. Lord, my problem is not how big you are. My problem is how little I see you. The Lord is inviting us to set our focus back on him today. I, uh, I was, I've been doing the chronological reading plan. I love this Second Chronicles 2012. I, I came across this the other morning and just, oh, uh, it just did something to my heart. Second Chronicles, they're, uh, there's an, they're being attacked. And they don't know what to do, and I love this. I love how it phrases it. It says, oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we're powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. And let me just tell you, this needs to be the anthem of somebody's life over the next season. It says, we do not know what to do. Anybody been there before? Anybody there right now in an area of your life, we don't know what to do. Lord, we've been to counseling, but we don't know what to do. Lord, we're trying to work on our marriage, but we don't know what to do. Lord, we're trying to get out of this financial thing that we're in, but we don't know what to do. Lord, we're facing all of this, and we've tried everything. We've thought of everything. We've gone through everything, but we don't know what to do. But I love the follow-up, but our eyes are on you. And that needs to be your anthem this season, doesn't it? Maybe as a family, maybe as an individual, maybe as a church, we don't know what to do. But all we do know is our eyes are not going to be fixed on the problem. I'm not going to be Peter walking on the water who focuses on the waves and falls and sinks. No, no, no. My eyes are going to be on Jesus, the one who calls me into the water, the one who has the power to lift me back up, and the one who has my life in the palm of his hands. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are fixed. On the author of life who does know what to do and who knows what he's doing even when I don't know. And I love how they say even when you can't trace his hand, you can trust his heart. God wants somebody to know this morning. You're surrounded. You feel alone. You're surrounded. And because you're surrounded, guess what you're empowered to do? Because you've had people go before you that give us no excuse and to say you can do it. And guess what? All those people in Hebrews 11, they didn't have a Bible. Did you know that? Or Jesus, or the Spirit of God living inside them, or great churches to come to, great music to listen to. But they said, Look, if I can do it, you can do it. Lay aside those weights, lay aside that sin, and run. Stop wasting time. Did anybody in this room know that life is short? So run and set your eyes on Jesus. I love where Moses, remember they were in battle and he lifted up the snake and whenever they would look back to the snake, they'd be healed. All they had to do was look because you're becoming what you're beholding. Maybe, just maybe this week, intentionality will rise in our lives and we'll say, God, no matter what I'm going through, I'm surrounded. So I'm going to lay aside every weight. I'm going to run and I'm going to look at you. I don't know what to do, but all I do know is this, my eyes with every head bowed and every eye closed. I just thank you for your presence. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that you're more than enough. And thank you that, God, we're not just running a small little race that's not going to matter a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, a million years from now. We're running a race, and our footprints will echo into eternity. And the prize we're running for is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And what treasure we're getting is where 
moth and rust does not destroy, and thieves cannot break in and steal. So, Lord, I don't know about anybody else, but on my deathbed, I want to be able to say I fought the good fight. And I finished the race. At times, I didn't know how I was going to finish it. But I didn't know one thing. You 